Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. If you have a potentially fatal illness, treatment probably comes with risks and is possibly pretty anxiety-inducing. Recovery is sort of like that, except in order to be treated, you have to do intense, deep psychological work. If someone said you had to go to counseling and talk about the things that upset you the very most, and that failure to do this right would probably lead to your own death, how nervous would you be? We talk about feelings, coping, fear of success, fear of failure, inner child work, catharsis, abuse, and more. Content warning for child abuse and alcoholism. Welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm sitting here with my friend Lauren, who I just met very recently today. Lauren is a recovering addict and alcoholic and is going to be talking to us today about trauma, mental health, and recovery. If you haven't heard Lauren's first episode, I would suggest you start there. It's great. Thank you. You're welcome. So welcome first. And also, um, I'm super excited to continue this conversation. I don't know if excited is the right emotion, but it is an emotion I'm feeling. That's good. Generally, emotions are good. I have learned recently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my counselor assures me the same thing. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, it's very exciting. The most natural segue from there is to talk about treatment as this idea that's terrifying from a position of not being in recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, terrified is a really good way to say it, um, in, my, in my experience, mm-hmm. um, especially been my first kick at the can as they say um but for me i think you know knowing that i had so many unresolved parts of my life um that i was going to be facing i think that's what kind of scared me the most um and i was right it was scary and hard (laughs) with um with mental clarity uh comes you know memory and that was what was the hardest for me in, you know, the very beginnings. I think, you know, anyone who's been through it will tell you that the very beginning is really hard. Um, Maintenance is like the long haul can be more challenging, Mm -hmm. but having your kind of awareness 
um, and memory and uh, mental clarity come back to you all at once after you've been numbing it and pushing it away, suppressing and repressing it for so long is super jarring. Um, and I was pretty much just a basket case <laughs> for a couple of days. Um, just I remember my first few treatment meetings sitting in a room, um, just no emotional control at all. And having these people who, who had been there for like, you know, three months talking so casually about relapse. And I was just sitting there freaking out. Right. Like how talking about this without losing your mind. Like, I, you know, I, I had no control. <laughs> um, and um yeah, that I was I was terrified of that. I was terrified of having to um, confront the things that I I hadn't wanted to deal with or confront. So that was where the terror for me came in. I was also just terror. I was terrified of relapsing. Right. Um, from pretty much the minute I put the drink and the drug down, I was absolutely terrified of picking it back up because I really truly. Some people will say that you know I have a relapse in me. Um, mm. I, I don't feel that way. Uh, and I, I truly don't believe I do. Um, and I, I, I think my desperation to change the way I was living um, lent itself to the determination and like the way that I plunged head first, super, super deep into truly recovering um, on the first try mm-hmm. because I just had this underlying and still have this underlying fear that if I go out again, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I remember the first few meetings um, after treatment of people talking about, you know, it's their fifth, sixth time back and me just starting to have this crisis of faith, thinking, well, what happened? You know, when is my relapse coming? And people saying to me, the first time someone said to me that, you know, relapse doesn't have to be a part of your story, I give you a comfort. And that's what I kind of tell myself when, in those moments, you know. That it doesn't have to be part of the story, even though it's a part of a lot of other people's. That's awesome. Because a lot, yeah, a lot of that terror comes from ever going back, right? And I and I think there's and and again, like obviously, I can't speak to it significantly. I haven't been an addict in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of thinking back now. I'm like, there were definitely there were definitely summers where I would spend twelve hours a day on my computer gaming. Yeah. And my parents just kind of left me to my own devices. Mm-hmm. But I sort of learned how to work with that and work around that. But anyways, this isn't about me. Um, <laughs> shoot. Well, I was, it comes in all different forms. I was, yeah. So I was going to mention this idea that it can be the fear of fucking up as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny for me, actually. I wasn't scared of fucking up. I think I was scared of it becoming too meaningful because once it became too meaningful, once anything became too valuable to me, I tended to sabotage it. Um, That's true of relationships. It's true of um, jobs. It's true of anything really. Um, So I guess in the, in, in, in the larger sense, it is a fear of fucking up, but it's, it's more of a fear of, like gaining all of this meaningful time and all these meaningful experiences and then fucking it up. So I was just really used to kind of just on a continual basis of just born, fuck it up again. <laughs> you know, that was like my, my modus operati or whatever. Yeah. Operandi. Um, operandi. Thank you. No worries. Yeah. So 
yeah, it's I, I kind of I've I've always been an underperformer. There's there's over you know, over performers, under performers, you know, wherever you fall into that. I, I never really gave anything a good enough shot because I just kind of assumed that as soon as things got too difficult I would probably just drop it, burn it, walk away. Right. And and I had a large fear that the same would be true of um of recovery. But um fortunately things got meaningful and I and I kept going. Um, I'm still scared of fucking up for sure, but you build a, a, a strong enough kind of support and a, and a, a pro, like a, an aftercare program, a relapse plan that, you know, mm-hmm. you give yourself, give yourself an out. You have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I said fear of fucking up as well, it, I was more communicating, um, that there's also this fear that to admit life could be decent is to admit all of this time you've invested. There's like this sunken cost fallacy. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to leave you hanging there. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Um, Just, I guess it's that fear, at least for me in doing trauma recovery stuff in counseling, for me personally, there's this, there's this fear of, I think, when you own that you don't have to be super, super affected by trauma, like it doesn't have to run things, you're like, oh, fuck, well, I could have just done this like 10 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's It's such a complex thing dealing with trauma yeah um and and it it feels like i almost have a different approach to it like every other week you know Mm -hmm. um and then and then yeah just like you said it's like yeah it's difficult to kind of pinpoint that um it's it's such a catch-22 as well because on the one hand there's this fear like oh i'm i'm totally and again i'm speaking from my experience not projecting anything onto your story um but in my experience feeling like oh yeah i'm just like total trash and like such a dumpster fire and like can't get anything together there's like this fear that you're going to validate that story by trying not to be that story but then there's this fear of success i suppose as well which is like but then if i am able to disprove that story I've been telling myself the fuck have I been doing with my whole life? <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. And I've had to take such a different approach too, because for a long time I was the same. I was like, you know, you're never going to succeed at anything anyways. And mm-hmm. you're, you're going to put up and you know, you're, you're this failure. Right. And I just got so used to living that line. Mm-hmm that I told myself um I still have like anger at that that yeah person told herself that because I'm like now I approach myself with such a gentler attitude where I'm like hey man you're doing a lot like it's okay <laughs> yeah for a couple hours. don't worry about it you're doing things um <laughs> but but also you know <sighs> kind of I'm, I'm i'm in the process of like reparenting myself reparenting the parts of myself that tell me that line oh my goodness that's well, so i'm currently reading um pete's book the cptsd from surviving to thriving okay so cognitive behavioral therapy 
Um, no, no, I'm sorry. Co- complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, okay. I didn't catch all of them. I'm sorry. I could have spoken more clearly. Let me look up his last name. I want to say it's Walker, but I don't want to get it wrong. It is. Yeah, it is Pete Walker. Um, okay. I, just, I have not read that. So it's interesting because you're talking about a lot of the things that I'm currently learning. So the funny thing is this has been on my to, to read list for like years. Like, I mean, for like five, six years, I've been meaning to get to this book, but like, I, I knew the basics of CPTSD, like complex post-traumatic stress. And like, I had an idea about it and I was like, eh, you know, I'm working through most of this in therapy. This will be fine. This will be fine. Like, I don't, I don't have to read this. And then I started reading it. I was like, fine, I'm going to read it. And hilariously, it was one of my siblings being like, so I'm reading this book and it's super helpful in terms of like dealing with trauma and stuff from like, you know, our childhood. And I was like, all right, now at least I have someone to talk to about it. So I was like, fine, I'll read it. And I started reading it. And one of the pieces that really tied in with your story was this idea of reparenting, of being able to Mm -hmm. take, um, I mean, like, so the, the question I'm not asking that I'm skipping for people following along that are listening is when you were talking about feeling, you know, um, I don't want to get it wrong, but I'm sort of paraphrasing that idea of like, I'm going to fuck it up again. Or like, I'm just like such a failure. Like there's this question of like, Hmm, where have I heard that before? Mm-hmm. And that typically yeah. leads back to like certain role models or certain experiences or certain interactions where regardless of what the other person intended to communicate, you know, a person takes away this idea of like, oh, they think I'm a total fuck up. Um, yeah. And then you just start internalizing and collecting those instances until they become a pattern and until that pattern becomes convincing and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to some extent. And it becomes like an entire basis of your inner critic and you listen to that inner critic for you know however long it leads you until you start learning how to you know reparent that part of you yeah yeah it's pretty it's it's insane like the deeper and deeper i go into um age regression therapy and you know parts work and um you know starting to understand and relive and and have all these memories coming back from me from my very early childhood, Mm -hmm. the more I understand the way that I live in the world. And what I've recognized, which is a little bit scary, is that huge parts of my personality are all trauma responses. Right. And it's, it's, it's pretty mind blowing and a bit emotionally destabilizing when you start realizing that. And like when I started realizing that, you know, a lot of, I mean, I I do believe that addiction um, does have roots in, in, in your, just in your basic DNA makeup genetically. Um, And also, you know, from different environments that you grew up in. But I think um, I I agree with Gabor Mate's um, kind of philosophy that addiction is the root like is a symptom and the root cause in a lot of people is trauma. And yeah. I think that, that is a huge part piece of the puzzle for me. And it really took me until recently to figure that out. Once I started doing the age regression therapy and the parts work um, and realizing that this fear and mistrust and um, this hole inside of myself that I have been filling with drugs and alcohol to be this different person comes from um comes from my childhood comes from the reproach recrimination mm-hmm. and demoralization 
of of things that happened in my childhood. Yeah, and it's a, it's it's huge to confront that and to realize it's relieving, but it's also like it, it's so complex the feelings that come with that. Yeah, it's sort of like putting down the giant question mark that you sort of labeled this big cloud of overwhelming feels with. And then realizing, cool, so I slapped a label on it, but it's still a big cloud of overwhelming yeah. feels. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what do I do with this cloud now? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, for me, just the knowledge that, you know, I'm so much more aware of what's going on in the inner workings. Um, it's kind of silenced a lot of those mm-hmm. voices. Um, and, and just the approach that I take with myself now, you know, you hear a lot when you're going through recovery, like be kind to yourself. And it's kind of like, every time I heard that, I'm like, would you fuck off, please? (laughs) It's kind of like when you hear it's one day at a time, like, yeah, I know I get that. You know, these are all very true things, but after you hear them every day in meetings and stuff, you know, after a while, you just kind of want to tell them to shut up. But, um, (laughs) when I truly started, you know, actually, taking a more empathetic look um, towards the way that I deal with myself and the things my past, my perspective changed and my whole um, approach to dealing with things and my approach to counseling, my approach to self-care, my approach to like pretty much like everything, my dealings with people, the way I connect to my friends now, it's all changed in Mm -hmm. a pretty subtle way to them and a pretty big way to me, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because I think what I've been able to do is to connect with that kid, you know, um, through hypnosis actually quite a bit. Um, awesome. And to be really kind to that kid who's super pissed off and super upset and unconfused um and that has lent itself to me to truly be kind to myself that's brilliant so when they say yeah when they say that to you you know they have good intentions it's just hard to hear it and not really understand what it means definitely so So for for me i didn't do hypnosis i did an exercise from an audiobook which was um walking down the street you grew up on and oh and literally standing in front of your house and listening from the outside at, at least that's how it, I can't remember what the exact prompts of the exercise were. And for the love of God, if you don't have a therapist, you might want to get a therapist before trying this. <laughs> um, yeah, like legit. But also, you know, you to you, I'm not telling you how to do whatever. Um, so, and this idea of just like standing outside the house and just noticing everything, like noticing colors of the house or sounds of the abuse coming from inside the house. And then just being able to be that wiser self, almost like you try and embody the very best of, of yourself. So I'm explaining this poorly, I think, but no, no, you're definitely explaining it. Well, thank yeah. you. Um, and it's not the first time I've heard of this. Oh, wonderful. Um, so I think the, the big the big takeaway is a lot of people who do struggle to be compassionate and kind. I know people hate the word compassion sometimes, but like to be compassionate or kind or like loving to oneself because they feel for whatever reason, um, they have a much harder time feeling those things towards a child. And if they sort of think of that, that 
maybe angry or maybe hurting or maybe dissociative or maybe fearful part of themselves. And they go, oh, when did I first feel like this? Oh, I can actually attribute it to when I was like roughly this old, this sort of behavior started happening. And I sort of started to feel like this more. We don't always have that kind of insight, but when you do get that insight, you can kind of pull yourself out of that lower brain response, like that sort of knee jerk instinctual, like I can't fucking survive. I need to just survive. And you can kind of separate that a little bit as what if I represented this part of myself as that part of myself that's unhealed as a child. And then you do this exercise of walking down your street and, and breathing and you close your eyes and you visualize as you go up to the house and you just sort of say like, Hey, like, I know you're still angry about this and I know you're still dealing with this and you can always come back here if you need to. But if you want to walk out of that house and away from that abuse, you can do that. And I will take care of you. I will take the responsibility on that. My parents did not take for me then. And you can actually get your child self. You can visualize your child self walking out and you can provide whatever form of encouragement or, you know, sometimes that's hugging. Sometimes that's holding hands. Sometimes that's just acknowledging the suffering. And then you can walk Mm -hmm. down that road with your child self. And then when you think about those patterns happening, you have this easy label and image to sort of slap on this whole reaction. So you can sort of self-therapize and reframe what you're thinking and sort of be like, Oh, I know that voice. That's the voice of, you know, eight year old me that is fighting for their life. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful and very similar to a lot of the inner child work that I've done. And I've been in the midst of doing for the last couple of months. Um, and it's just, it's cathartic as hell. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's like, it, it makes you want to go up to all of the adults in your life that are so pissed off all the time and be like, can you please go and hug your inner child for like five minutes? <laughs> so if telling them, if telling them to take it one day at a time doesn't get you like slapped across the face, telling them to go and give their inner child a hug just might. <laughs> well, that's okay. Cause you know, maybe it'll plant the seed for them, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, um, I have a good friend of mine uh, who I've been like a lot closer to recently. And we, we had, we had a, like a long, uh, nice long video call. Um, and I kind of opened up to her about some of the, the inner child work that I've been doing. And she seemed really interested in it. And, um, and then I actually, like we had a long conversation about it. And then she, I got a call from her, or a message from her yesterday. And she was like, she had on her own a breakthrough about like a memory that she connected like high level anxiety that she gets to this moment when she was a young kid. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm like, go with it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and she was like, you know, it was really talking about the kind of stuff that you're doing that had me thinking about, you know, where my anxieties come from and then connecting to this moment that I hadn't thought about probably since it happened uh, of where I first started feeling panic attacks, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really wonderful to be able to you know have somebody kind of come to that moment just because you know they're talking openly with somebody about self-work and there's so many people that i you know i wish you know i could i could be like this would really help you but you know it's not your place right yeah kind of the work that i wish that a lot of parents people of my parents generation would be able to oh, to do for that is that is a whole podcast all to itself yeah. <laughs>
yeah, we'll leave that there. <laughs> well, but basically, as far as my parents are concerned, I do counseling. Right. And good for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there's definitely some intergenerational trauma stuff that is like complex and so hard to parse apart. And the, the TLDR of it, like the short version is I try and remind myself that it's a big heap of shit and every generation mm-hmm. tries to shovel just a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the TLDR for me um, is <laughs> I, I, I drank and did drugs and that's because, you know, generations and generations of my family did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those, those are the strategies you learned. Yeah, absolutely. Because of re-traumatization of, of every generation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, yeah. And I think that's, that's really good reframing. Just seeing it as like, instead of it being overwhelming, just being like, yeah, this is a lot. Like I'm, I'm looking at a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what makes me feel pretty good though, is that I'm, I'm really kind of the first generation, um, that's breaking the cycle. That is exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much like following my dad's line. Um, I'm the first that's gotten clean and sober. Wow. Um, and hasn't died of it because majority of the, uh, you know, the good old days, people, my parents age, uh, my dad's family and grandparents and stuff. It, it, it led them to their deaths mostly before the age of 60. So for me to be 32 in this family lineage um, and to be, uh, healthy physically mentally and of spirit clean and sober you know i'm breaking i'm breaking those cycles mm-hmm. and and i don't ever have to carry that on to new generations right and you're hitting on something very interesting which is this idea of the strength and empowerment that comes from a connection to one's heritage in a positive way oh yeah hugely i mean I, I love my family very much. I accept them for their flaws and for their fuck ups and you know, but I have a huge compassion now, especially being on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, addiction, understanding, you know, the hardships they've gone through in their lives. And um a lot of forgiveness has come through that. Um, mm-hmm. towards my own parents, her, my mom especially. Yeah. Um and, uh, you know, I don't hold on to that kind of anger anymore. Like you fucked me up and I drank and it almost killed me. Like, this is your fault, you know, because they, they were just doing the best that they could, right. Um, with what they had and what they were given. It's so interesting. Cause I've, I've said exactly the same words. Like they were doing the best that they could with what they had at the time. Like, yeah. and, and just like, it's still almost a little eye rolly for me because I haven't finished dealing with that stuff. Not that I think you ever quote unquote finish, but I've definitely come to a more optimistic place and I've definitely come to a more accepting place. So, you know, if my, you know, if my mother tries to guilt me or, you know, says, says something that, that really doesn't um, land well for me, I'm much better able to be able to reframe it as like, fuck, it's going to suck to live with that much anxiety all the time. Yes, absolutely. I feel you are with that with my mom. Like mm-hmm. she, 
the compassion I have for her as opposed to the immediate knee-jerk response of, ugh, you know, right. like, stop, you don't know what you're talking about, you're an angry person sometimes. Instead, just like what you said, like, it must really stop to live day-to-day with these kinds of resentments and not being able to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has allowed me to kind of um, change the way our relationship has been historically that of like a lot of anger, frustration, and me never being able to be um, open with who I am, and and now just being like, okay, and this is who I am. Right. You know, I actually just two weeks ago, um, I guess, came out to them about being an addict and alcoholic. They had no idea I was in treatment. Wow. I actually went through this without my family, so Oof. it was. Yeah, um, my brother was aware. He was the only person in my family who was. There's a lot of reasons why my parents weren't involved in my recovery process. Sure, um, sure. Shame being a big one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is for anyone going through it, um, and not just anybody dealing with addiction, but just, I guess, mental health issues in general. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people like to admit to that, um, just from the stigma that both things fall under societally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and you know, being able to just have that conversation with them and let them know, like, this is what's happened, and in the past, these are some of the reasons I've kind of figured out why this is like what I've done about it, and this is the relationship I want to have with you going forward. And it was an extremely emotional but really good conversation. Yeah, I'm. Mm-hmm. This is this is reminding me of like coming out to my parents as queer and as kinky and like. I'm thinking about like coming out conversations in the context of coming out as being an addict. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously not the same thing. No, um, I'm also (laughs) queer. Um, and that is not a conversation that I will have with my mom and there's reasons for that Yep. or probably either of my parents, but I've, I made that decision a long time ago and it doesn't bother me. It it was harder for me to come out to them as an addict and an alcoholic. Sure. And, think it was probably in large part to do with the fact that they've been through hell with my brother's addiction so a lot of it was me like nobly trying to save them from the truth that both their children are addicts right when actually lying to them probably did a lot more damage right yeah well i'm kind of sensing like a natural kind of stopping point in the conversation Sure. Did you want to? Yeah. So you're good with ending the episode here and then we'll do, we'll pick up another one and we'll talk more about, let's see, drugs as a path to intimacy. We can talk about trauma bonding, sex relationships, kink, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. So how was it intimates? Let us know on Patreon or start a discussion on Facebook. And if you want to keep being super awesome, you can help us out by going and leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Social proof like that helps so much. You can also just tap share on this episode and send it to someone you think might like it. Thanks so much for helping build the community and the show. I look forward to chatting with you on Discord or writing back and forth on Patreon. The intro music was Show Me, the instrumental version by Josh Woodward, and this outro music is Arrival by How the Night Came. Thank you so much.